Welcome to Cut As You Go, a Patreon-exclusive spinoff of the Incinerator podcast where we unfortunately tackle the oeuvres of beloved auteurs and decimate their cinematic legacies. Each week we cut a new title from their filmography and toss it into the Incinerator and do so until only one remains, the filmmaker Roland Emmerich. And we're here, folks. The end of the road. Every single Roland Emmerich title has been incinerated except for one. Last week, we were joined by screenwriter Chris Thomas Devlin to say ta-ta to that souped-up jingoistic enterprise starring that souped-up anti-Semite. I think you know the title. That means the film you decided should be the lone survivor is none other than Independence Day. And joining us to celebrate the 1996 blockbuster and its scrappy survival skills is none other than the co-host of the Screen Drafts podcast, Mr. Clay Keller. Indeed, indeed. So it was The Patriot was last last week i don't know what you're talking about because it's been oh that's right what the what yeah Um, yeah i I, all i know is it's a film that's starring that stars a famous anti-semite okay that's all i i dare to say (laughs) um i am shocked that film lasted as long as it did because of the anti-semite of it all yeah the anti-semite at the center yeah yes but it made it to the final two but everybody decided that no Independence Day has to be, if there's only going to be one Roland Emmerich film remaining, right. it has to be Independence Day. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. No, that makes all the sense in the world. I, I was going to ask when I got on, I'm like, okay, so I, like, I, I wasn't yet aware that this was the, the, the last film standing. And I was going to be like, what on earth is remaining if, if, if Independence Day is getting cut? But no, of course, of course it makes sense. Independence Day survives. Well, let's be clear, though. It survived by one vote. By one vote? By one vote, it survived. Like, it barely... I'm starting to have questions about your audience, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My audience are wonderful, amazing people. Uh Thank you for your support. Um, But yes, it was... But, you know, let's be clear. The film that shan't be named that I have no memory of that was incinerated last week is my favorite Roland Emmerich film. Interesting. So... I would not have been devastated. But it, yeah. But it, it makes, makes sense. sense. It makes sense that if one movie is going to But I feel like this is also not necessarily a qualitative venture you go on Billy Ray because if you're trying to whittle it down to one remaining in existence film, I feel like that should also sort of uh you know carry the the general spirit of the film. I feel like the 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 um historical film led by an anti-semite is is not it doesn't really fit in with your what you immediately think of when somebody says i think people people often forget that roland emmerich directed that film uh like when you think roland emmerich you think uh uh gigantic world ending stakes massive destruction across cities of of the entire globe uh a bunch of characters uh, that intersect at the end of the movie like that's that's what you're thinking of and i feel like the ultimate example of that is independence day i i think that's fair as chris said when we were discussing that film it's more a mel gibson movie than a roland emmerich movie right and i think that's a i think that's a fair assessment of that that said adore that film but Independence Day, I mean, you know, look. Yeah. It, it's hard to say anything bad about Independence Day, partially because, A, I have such nostalgia attached to it. 
But secondly, because I rewatched this film again about two weeks ago for the first time in a while, still holds up pretty well. Still a yeah. damn fun movie. It holds up well. It's a damn fun movie. And it's one of those movies. We talk about this a lot on, on screen drafts and people talk about it a lot in general, but it's, there's so many movies now that you look at, particularly from the eighties and nineties that at the time were considered, this is the junk. This is the garbage. This is the slop that the masses shovel down their throats, you know, turn your brain off popcorn movie that you, you look at them now seem like fucking cinematic masterpieces. Like the, the type of movie, the slop movie has devolved in such a depressing way that yesterday's trash now looks like absolute treasure and this is a shining example of that. Just the 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 simple competence behind this movie. And Roland Emmerich embodies this devolution within his body of work. Oh, absolutely. As much as as you know the the industry as a whole. Like I went and saw the fucking movie where the moon comes out of orbit. <laughs> so did I. And compared to this movie, it is fuck. It is garbage. It is. It looks like it was directed by. I mean, the sequel to this movie looks like it was directed by someone who had never made a movie before. Okay. And just like you watch it there on the resurgence on the resurgence. Look, uh, I had a good. I had a good time with resurgence, but it is sloppy. The 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 camera the, the camera framing and movement is sloppy. The the acting is sloppy. It's just like you get a movie like Independence Day and you're like, this is just, it is like clockwork. It is it derivative? Absolutely. It wears its influences on its sleeve. Is it sim- simplistic? A million percent. But it does what the basic things that a blockbuster used to do. It gives you meat and potatoes and and toast. And, and, it's, not the, and it's not the fanciest you know, breakfast you've ever had, but it's why you go back to Denny's. You know, it is. Are you suggesting that Independence Day is the Denny's of his filmography? And honestly, I'm sure that I'm sure that there was an Independence Day uh, Denny's oh. crossover meal like menu uh, that that they had. But it is. No, it's you've got you've got charming movie star leads. You've got things that are planted in the beginning that are paid off. Like Jeff Goldblum saying checkmate, yep. you know, you've got this like that is like the simple like pl- planting a line that you call back a couple of times. That's shit you don't see in movies anymore. And it's like the simplest fucking blockbuster screenwriting. It's just it, it, it I feel like it is just, you know, there is a sloppiness now to the way screenplays are written. And that leads to sloppiness down the line. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not here to rant about today's movies. I want to praise Independence Day. Independence Day is great. It is so fun. Uh, is it weird that all the characters uh, seem to to not care that much that like uh, hundreds of millions of people around the world are are killed instantaneously? Yeah, maybe it's a little weird, but um, they, they're all clearly defined characters. They're all performed really well. The 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 logic, just kind of this being able to keep track of bouncing from Goldblum to Will Smith to yeah. uh, uh, Judd Hirsch to the president to Vivica A. Fox yep. to uh, R- R- Randy Quaid. You know, that is never confusing. You always know where those characters are at, are at in their progression in the story. 
and and I don't know. I just this is just a good movie. It surprises me when people, especially this day and age, don't have positive things to say about Independence Day because I do think it is kind of a shining example of that of that type of film. Well, it's it's really the blueprint for the films that he would do after to a right. large degree. Like, I mean, you think of his John Cusack vehicle or his Dennis Quaid vehicle. And like, they're right. all just sort of bouncing off what Independence Day started. And, you know, you could throw the sequel to this film into the mix as well, which of course doesn't exist, but they're all, right. they're all just sort of aping off what this thing did. And, um, you know, yeah. And I, I'm I, starting to wonder, Billy Ray, there's a name that goes alongside Emmerich's for the first few possible movies you alluded to that oh, then drops Devlin. that then drops off come moonfall was he involved in resurgence um he was involved in resurgence but his last official collaboration was the big lizard movie yeah so you know i feel like dean devlin uh probably deserves a bit of credit at least in terms of the screenplay on this one a hundred percent. I I think Dean Devlin was a big part of of his successes, particularly early on. I think once he left, I you can really. I mean, look, you can you can find nice things. I can I have a lot of fun with the John Cusack film and the Dennis Quaid film. Like, there's fun to be had there. But what they are lacking, maybe not maybe not the John Cusack one, because I do think that one's actually a pretty well made ensemble disaster film yeah. a la like cowering inferno or poseidon adventure but yeah that's um, a, that's a good one i like that one yeah but for the most part what his films after that lack is that lightness and that that deft handling of like drama and action and humor because roland right. emmerich has a very specific sense of humor to his films especially his early stuff like you go back to the jean-claude van damme one or like it's like it, it was always there. And then he loses that like post independence day. He really starts to lose that project after project. Right. By the time that we get to his most recent film, it's like, Oh boy. Well, and it's not that he stops trying to put it in. It's just, it stops being successful. It's, it is, it, it or, or like it, it is um, like somebody telling a joke that they heard 10 years ago and they don't really remember the punchline very well you know it's it like i look move all there's jokes in the fucking moon movie are they good no they're they're not good the jokes in this movie are pretty good and what this movie understood and what all the movies that cast goldblum understood is you just you've got to put if you've got the a movie that's on this scope it's got this much plot in it and you're you have these like precious few moments for the characters to actually like have a character driven dialogue you just got to cast people who are innately charming yeah you know look i love patrick wilson the guy's not he is not gonna bring you cast goldblum you add 10 percent to your movie right you yeah. that's 10 percent less work you have to do because he's gonna take a line that is perfunctory and he'll make it iconic because he'll put a goldblum yeah. spin on it same yeah. thing with will smith like those two guys in this movie, they are given better material in the script than in a lot of other Emmerich movies, but they just sell this stuff. It is the acting. It is the, 
Even the, Bill Pullman. Even Pullman is Pullman too. But it's this. it's yeah. the moments in between the words. It is the lilt on the delivery. It is they imbue this stuff with this unique movie star charisma uh, that I feel like has just kind of yeah. As you said, there's been less and less and less of it. Yeah, I love Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid. They're <sighs> not bringing. The no. same kind of energy well, that Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are bringing. Well, part of me thinks. Uh, part of me thinks it's several things. One, I think it is. I think. I think. Not, I mean, nine eleven factors heavily. I think into the films that he made pre nine eleven and post nine eleven. I think that you know it impacted all films and the way all right. films are presented. I think. I think Roland Emmerich is a good example of how it really affected filmmakers and the way that they're approaching their work. True, and I also think. You know, we have just, and 9-11 is partly responsible for this, like, our tastes as audiences have just changed. Like, you you know, you look at what we're being, you know, and to to his credit, like, very few filmmakers of his scale have been so committed to original IPs the way that Roland Emmerich has. Like, with the exception of one, maybe two films of his, all of his films have been original IPs. And that's impressive. Like, that's pretty impressive for somebody to be so on that boat. And now all it is is IP. All it is is Marvel and Lucasfilm and DC. And, you know, part of me wonders, like, how many times has Roland Emmerich been approached to, like, in the years past, join one of those? You know, you know he has. You know he's got, you know he's fielded offers before. And the fact that he's just continued to stick with, you know, is impressive to me and I, and I think is admirable even though the quality is just is just oh it's just dropping well, and, dropping and he's and been dropping. he's getting less and less money i mean it's beating a dead horse but like one of the things i always am thinking when i'm watching independence day is the the effects by and large look good the yeah. model work is great they built a bunch of fucking sets like Moonfall looks like they could have fucking made it in a garage. It looks so cheap. Yeah. Uh, and it's just this kind of movie. You know, I was not raised on sci-fi channel stuff. I don't have an affinity for schlock stuff that looks like schlock. You know, uh, I don't find anything charming about a movie that looks cheap and digital. Uh, so, so I had a real tough time with the Moon movie. But again this everything here and i feel like i feel like it has hurt emmerich's craft you know being able to just shoot in front of a green screen and say we'll we'll decide what it's going to look like in post i feel like he's was so much stronger back when he needed to storyboard everything back when he needed to previs everything like back when you could actually like you were forced to plan shots and interact with the environment this his direction again you watch them next to each other and it and it it's incredible how far the craft has fallen. I mean, you look, he, he had a three film run there. If you look at the Jean-Claude Van Damme film, you look at the James Spader film and then Independence Day, like those three films, three original sci-fi IPs that are all actually pretty fun. Like all three of those films, I would say are good films. They're well-made films. And it's like when he reached that zenith with Independence Day, it just, he just couldn't keep it. Like he couldn't hold on to it. Like he was building yeah. and building and building up to that. And once he got there, 
it was like there was no place else to go. Like he had reached his, yeah. he'd reached the top and then it was only down from there. And, you know, it, it's, it, I, I'm just, I'm constantly fast. I'm fascinated by Roland Emmerich as a person and as a filmmaker for a multitude of reasons. And this is the last time our Patreon subscribers will hear me bloviate about the themes, the Roland Emmerich themes mm-hmm. kind of pop up throughout his films. But kind of the three that I and that we've all focused on throughout the series is one is sort of the queerness of his films. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not based on when it is in his career. Uh, his obsession with conspiracy theories, which is throughout his oh, career. Yeah. And then also his his weird jingoism, like his weird patriotic streak. And this film, Independence Day, it certainly has the latter two. You know, it doesn't necessarily have the queerness, but he certainly made up for that in the sequel. Right. Well, it's got gay jokes. And <laughs> well, it's got that, gay jokes. Yeah, if that counts as 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 queerness. Yeah the 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 bit where he makes it look like Harry Connick Jr. is proposing to will smith yeah. and the guy comes in is like hey none of my business and then obviously just having harvey fierstein yeah there it's not like it's not like harvey fierstein was a staple of mid-90s studio movies you know that was well uh, this and doubtfire this and doubtfire yeah yeah no yeah and it's like you know the, the certainly the patriotism is here and certainly the conspiracy theory element especially with the uh I was about to say Studio 54, Area 51. Yeah, the Area 51 Area 51 stuff. stuff. Um, but yeah, but like I said, he made up for the queerness in the sequel in a in a in a big way, um, in a weird way, but in a yeah. kind of a he turned, way. He turned queerness into like a uh like a resurrection power. Yeah, that's exactly right. Gay gay people cannot die in the Roland Emmerich universe. <laughs> and and God bless him for that. Yeah. Um but yeah, so like there are all these themes that are sort of running through his films. But what fascinates me about him is, is, well, the queerness fascinates me because, you know, when he first started making movies, it was not something that you really put in your films. And, um, you know, especially at that time in the early 90s, it just wasn't prevalent. And so I'm sure he was forced to sort of like hide it as much as possible, even though if you right. watch that uh, James Spader film, it is queer as fuck. Right. Um but, you know, just that and the fact that the, the trajectory of his career, I'm like, where does Roland Emmerich go from here? Like, he just had, like, an anor- like his last two movies, um, both of which were independ- independent, technically, feature films, this one and then the World War II one, um, both did not do well. Like, they both lost money, and the last one lost a lot of money. It's like... Right where do you go from there if you're Roland Emmerich? Like, like, what does your career look like? Because he's tried to make these smaller personal films before, like, you know, his, um, his gay film and then his Shakespeare film and like, to like limited to no success. So it's, I just, I'm just curious mm-hmm. where he goes. Cause I hate the idea of him evaporating as a filmmaker and as a presence in cinema, but I'm also like, he just hasn't really changed with the times. He hasn't changed with the times. He has not gone to television. I mean, obviously there was a Stargate show. Well, are they still doing Billy Ray? I, I I don't know if you checked up on this when you did the the episode about the original movie, but it was announced that him and Devlin were going to remake the Spader film. Well, no. Then they then he came out with that statement saying that he had no no plans to go back into that universe oh okay and that was somewhat recently he said he had no plans to go back into that universe 
And, and I think that feeds into that whole idea of like, I just don't think he likes, it's funny because I, a, I don't think he likes repeating himself narratively, but yet he repeats himself all the time and the types of movies he's making and the structure of the right. films. But it seems like he is just so committed to this idea of original IPs, which again, I appreciate, but I think it's, I think it's, it, it's to his detriment right now. Like, Right. Why couldn't you, why couldn't you, you know, no, no offense to Louis Leterrier, Louis Leterrier, no offense to him, but bring Rowan Emmerich on to direct Fast, Fast Five. I mean, fast maybe, uh, maybe Emmerich is too much of an auteur for Fast, I mean, it may, having Louis Leterrier makes all the sense in the world. Sure, sure, for sure. Universal needed a guy they had a relationship with who they know can do special effects movies who was doing sitting around doing nothing <laughs> and they also know if he was able to put up with ed norton and incredible hulk he can put up with Vin he put up with norton he's got he's got a relationship with statham he did the trans the couple, first couple transporter movies like uh he makes all the sense in the world as a as the yeah. best 10 but but yeah are you saying like you know just last night i saw the the, the new doctor strange the um yeah the sam raimi doctor strange and, uh, you know, Sam Raimi has said that he had such a good time making that movie. He feels reinvigorated. Like maybe Roland Emmerich just needs an experience where he's got some studio power behind yeah. him and some toys at his disposal. And even if they're not, if, even if it doesn't end up being like a capital E Emmerich movie, maybe it will give him, give him some juice back, I guess. But your point about 9-11 was very, was very interesting because, yeah, you do see a total change yeah. between this film and then all of his subsequent disaster films are all like natural disasters. Yeah. Uh, even the most recent one where it's technically the moon is an alien invading force, but what the way that it causes destruction is it causes this like weather event. Yeah. But it's like all tsunamis, all weather events were still destroying the white house, but it is not getting blown up with like fire, which is, yeah, you, clearly after nine 11, Maybe now you could go back to like, you know, uh, government buildings being well, literally exploded. But well, certainly, he did, that, he did that. He did that in um, uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal film. Oh, I thought that was like a. It's been a long time since I've seen the Jake Gyllenhaal film. I well, thought that, that was well, it's a right. It's a wave. It's a wave. It's not, it's it gets exploded in in the Cusack at, in the Cusack film. A wave drops a boat on top of the White House. Like, but there are a is, lot of explosions in that Channing Tatum Jamie Fox vehicle well, inside that, the White House. I guess yeah. So that was how much time had to pass and before. Nobody, and it did not do well. It did not do great either, that one. It was, no. well, I mean, that's because we had Olympus's Fallen. So why did we need Right, which was, yeah, that was, that was the, uh, the, the Armageddon to his, uh, his deep impact. But um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about, about that. But really what it boils down to it, it, is that this script is just a little bit better. Yeah. The jokes are a little bit better. I feel like people discount how much you can get away with if there's like if the dialogue is fun yeah i mean aaron sorkin has proven this time and time again if the dialogue is fun you can get away with fucking murder and this movie really really also proves that the yeah. dialogue is snappy there's a pretty good joke every so often uh the judd hirsch character provides the exact right amount of like quirky personality and comedic yeah. uh stuff james reborn is the perfect fucking shit heel oh, bureaucrat so great in this 
I love when you you're getting to the to the to the third act of the movie. The the speech Reborn gives that sets up the stakes for the entire third act, where he is like, "Hold on, this is a terrible idea. First of all, we don't know if this plan's going to work. Uh, we don't know if they can do this. They can't do this." And then the third act is our characters just doing all of the things that he said they couldn't do in his little speech there. It's like the whole third act is just a like fuck you James Reborn uh parade Let's which is be- great but again it's the casting and yeah. it's the I don't know how you go from Will Smith and Goldblum and that works so well and you don't if you, even if you can't get those guys why you just don't continue to pursue interesting actors and then again I like Cusack I like Quaid and Gyllenhaal you know I like Patrick Wilson but all those guys are just like I mean, Cusack is a little bit weirder, but like, why did he never go after like Cage or like, or why did he never? I I, I don't know. I I, I well, these aren't the right guys for these for these movies. They're too fucking square jawed, and it's Gyllenhaal's a weirdo now. Gyllenhaal, bring him back now. But at that time in that movie, he's playing it straight, and it just isn't that fun. Well, I'll say the couple of films he made after this one, like the Big Lizard movie, I think actually is a pretty fun cast. Uh-huh. Like you've right. got Jean Renault, Hank Azaria, Kevin Dunn's fun, like Harry Shearer. Like it's a fun cast. And then you think about, and I think about the Mel Gibson film too. Like Mel Gibson's great in that film. Like Jason Isaacs, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best movie villains, probably for me. Sure. Like those films had it, but he lost it. I feel like he lost it with the Jake Gyllenhaal, Dennis Quaid movie because his films just at that point started to get so serious now he changed it a little bit with the john cusack film because john cusack is kind of light and fun and and does a pretty good job in that film but the rest of the cast in that is like so like blah and when you get to like his most recent film you know john bradley can only do so much and what you know what they do to holly berry in that film is a travesty but like, yeah, I think the casting is a large, I, you're right about the, the screenplays. I do think Dean Devlin is a big part of the films of his that work the best in script form. Right. I think he's a big part of it. Well, then he went on to create and run, what, Leverage, right? Yeah. The like yeah. kind of comedy thriller about the team of con right. people. So like, yeah, I think he, I mean, he, it, I think it might just be his lightness of touch with the one-liners and the the interpersonal stuff but it's also like it is the casting too though like i mean so much so much relies on who you put especially in a movie like this when you're already straining credulity in so many ways with a movie like this you have to have some really fucking talented actors to pull that shit off and you can't just throw like i'm thinking back to his dinosaur movie like Stephen Strait and Camilla Bell, like they're not the actors who are going to carry that insanity. Like it's just right. never going to happen. You need Robert Loggia. You need Robert Loggia. You need the great James Reborn, oh. who, who is just the always... line again. Uh, you know, just you, you, I'm going to keep going back to the one-liners because, like, that is what that is what Hollywood popcorn blockbusters are built on this one still feels like it has some of that um that 80s and early 90s energy and again who knows for all we know carrie fisher script doctored this or tarantino or or joss whedon or like one of those like again you go back to movies like the rock 
movies like Speed, and you hear time and time again, oh, one of those four people did yep. a pass on it. They've worked and, on so much in the 90s. And when those, when that group of script doctors from the late 80s, early 90s stopped doing that, you can track it. Like if, if there was a graph, it would just go, it would like hit 1998 and then just drop straight off. Like yeah. it's, there's, there's, you know, I don't know if Dean Devlin wrote these lines or not, but the thing, sure. the thing where, where, where P- Pullman is like, listen, I assure you, Area 51 does not exist. Yes. And Re- Reference like, well, actually, sir, it's not entirely, entirely. Tr- like, great. And then, and then, and then Goldblum follows it up with a, with like a little, like a classic Goldblum, like a, what, yeah. which part? <laughs> like, fantastic fantastic and let's be clear clear, this film also gives a really fun part to the great brent spiner oh brent spiner is having more fun after (laughs) he's he's coming off of like 10 years of playing data like you could like he is i've never seen an actor relish playing a part more than brent spiner in this movie you know not to mention the randy quaid of it all randy quaid is fantastic who would have known Who'd have known? I mean, really, we're talking. I mean, what what a an incredibly prescient movie casting Randy Quaid as a paranoid <laughs> lunatic. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes that the sequel made was not including something related to the Randy Quaid character. Like there were all of these like random kids and people. I'm like, can you not make one of them his grandkid or his right. like like? Come on, like in, include him in some capacity because that's a super fun character and one of the character. most memorable characters in the movie. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I watched this movie in theaters. I had the good fortune. I saw this. I was visiting uh, a friend of mine and his family in Houston, Texas, and I watched this movie. Wow, in Houston, movie, Texas, in the, the exact city that gets fucking nuked in well, no, Independence Day. I was when the tanks are rolling by the interstate. There's a movie theater in the background, and that is the exact movie theater I saw that movie in and saw the tanks roll by the theater that I was in. And I will always have that memory. And um, and yeah, I, I mean, I saw this probably, I don't know, maybe 10 times in theaters when I was a kid. I, I was so into it. This, th- that year was the year of Independence Day and Twister, two films which I saw so much in the theater that it was ridiculous. And, um, and both films are examples of films that they just don't fucking make anymore. No. And like and no and it's because it's because all of the talented people are show running television shows or they're yeah. making independent movies. They are what 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 passes as a screenplay in a studio movie these days is not the same thing that passed no. as a screenplay 20 years ago. It's just not. Uh and it's and it's really a bummer. It's really 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 a bummer. I've never had the good fortune to see this movie in theaters. I was 8 when it came out. I was not seeing PG-13 movies in the theater yet, sure. uh, but I saw it a lot, a lot, a lot on television. And I, and I very well remember what a massive marketing push went into this oh, movie. Oh, it was huge. It was, yeah. It ID4. Was, I knew what ID4 yeah. was before yeah. the movie ever came out. Uh, and I had some like little video game on CD-ROM that I got at Target for free in promotion. And just like, this was... This was a huge, huge. Oh no! Fucking Fox knew what they had with this movie. This this was back in the days when you could watch this film, say the tenth time, a month and a half, two months later, and it'd still be a packed house. Yeah, like it, you know that doesn't happen anymore. But like this was back when that happened, 
And um, yeah, like they just don't do it like this anymore. Unfortunately, like I was having this conversation with Chris when we were talking about the Mel Gibson film and about how that film even just feels like an older fashioned kind of filmmaking that we just yeah. don't see anymore. And um, and it's a shame because like, I mean, I, I'm like a lot of people, like I'm excited about the new Doctor Strange movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Uh, You'll like looking, it. It I'm is not looking forward to it is the gnarliest. Movie. It is the gnarliest uh, MCU movie. Well, see, that's the thing. Well, I don't look forward to having to binge WandaVision to prepare myself, but... I mean, yeah, there's a lot of WandaVision. In it. I know, and so I've got to do that first, but um, I'm excited. To, I was concerned I was concerned about what the level of raininess would be in it. It sounds like there's a good amount, which is really exciting. It's, it is identifiable, yeah. Yeah, which is exciting, but like I'm, like I'm saying, I'm looking forward to that film, but I'm also like... I would, I, I'd be lying if I said that a part of me isn't like, oh God, another Marvel movie. I'm going to watch it, but I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I, I need like, I need something else. Like I need something other yeah. than Marvel and DC and like all of these things. Right. Like give me some original, which is why I was so excited about Roland Emmerich's last film. Like I was so excited about that. Cause I was like, I was too. a yeah. new IP, a new Roland Emmerich film. And then it was just like, oh, well, this is why we don't get them because this is the quality right that we get them at i will say though billy ray uh there's another guy who i'm sure you will uh put through these incineration paces at some point is is michael bay and his most recent movie kind of great kind of watching it this weekend on the vod it felt like a total throwback yeah and people didn't go out to see it it was it was on the base scale it was good uh it felt very practical it had a great central, like kind of wackadoo performance from Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, and and people didn't uh, didn't go out to see it. Well, that's I think that's the problem. Same with Moonfall, even though Moonfall is not a good film. But oh, oh, but yeah, say Moonfall oh, no. had bad word of mouth and I bad s- reviews. Ambulance, I'm sorry, Ambu Los Angeles Ants had the best reviews and yeah. word of mouth of a Bay movie in a decade. I just realized that I said the name of a film that has been incinerated. So I will find a way to punish myself listening audience in the next episode. I promise you. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, no, I mean, but that's the thing though, is like people, we, we always clamor that we want more of these films. We want more of these films and then we get them and no one goes to fucking see them. Like a good, a movie this year that I was shocked. I enjoyed as much as I did was marry me the Jennifer mm. Lopez movie. And I think what I liked so much about it, and I would even throw, even though I didn't love it, I liked The Lost City. So I think what I would say about both of those films are, I think why I liked them so much is because they made me feel like I did in like the late 90s right. when I was watching My Best Friend's Wedding or when I was watching something like that. It had that same sort of feel to it. And so now I find I've, I kind of find myself wanting so much more of that. Like I want more of those like nostalgic experiences where it's like, show me a film that's going to make me remember the nineties. Like, But uh, Billy Ray, I'm with, you know, I'm with you a million percent on, on this. And I just, but I went, so I, I don't know if audiences want, I don't, they, I don't get it. They, I, they seem not to want these things. The arrow in Santa Monica last week or the week before played a double feature of presumed innocent and the Pelican brief oh. and the Pelican brief Presumed Innocent is like a more of like a late eighties, early nineties. It's yeah. a little bit more of like a, it's not really like a kind of an action thriller. It's more of a kind of noir courtroom movie. The first but, film featuring Jeffrey Wright. Continue. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, Pelican Brief 
is exactly the kind of movie that you and I and everybody else is always talking about. Oh, the 90s, great thrillers with movie stars. It's blah, 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 blah. I go to this movie. There's fucking nine other people there. Like that is the like, you know, I we all say we want these things, but even when we're given them, we don't go see them. Now, I saw Marry Me. I saw Lost City. I saw Ambu Los Angeles Ants. I went and saw the Air Force One, the fugitive double feature at the Arrow. I went and saw Pelican Brief. Like I'm yeah. taking advantage of these opportunities. Yeah. But but I feel like people just they they like to 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 sit at home and moan. Well, that's it. Though. And th- and then that's not going to affect change. Well, that's the sitting at home <laughs> part of it though, where it's like I, I'm like, I, and this is not me. I'm very different. So are you? And like, but like, if I'm sitting at home and like, boy, you know. Even if I'm someone who grouses that there aren't enough, like, you know, 90s movies or 90s style movies. Like, well, do I want to go to the Arrow and see Pelican Brief? Or do I just want to watch it on Tubi? It's better. Just, um, nah, you oh, got to go see a fucking print, buddy, 100%, at the, 100%. the Arrow. I saw it in theaters when I was a kid. I agree. And, like, but, like, I think so many people, even though they want it, they're not willing to go out and support it. And not realizing that by not going out and supporting it, you're not going to get what you want. Yeah. Well, and, and that and that is the weird thing about even just the terminology you were just using, which I was using, which everybody uses now, which is support, as yeah. though Hollywood movies are some kind of a nonprofit right. <laughs> venture. Like in the 90s, no one ever said, like, I got to go support Independence Day. It was, I'm going to yeah. see Independence Day. I'm going to pay my money to see this movie. Yeah. And the only movies that seem to be able to get people out to them are fucking things like everything everywhere all at once which is this they they're able to successfully convince people that it is some sort of a grassroots like we got to support this movie for whatever reason because it's independent because it's telling stories about underrepresented people like those movies can 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 truly convince people that they are supporting something rather than just being passive consumers yeah but it's it's i feel like it is it's so bizarre to have to talk about fucking Warner Brothers movies in terms of like, you gotta support the scrappy, yeah. you know, fucking $150 million movie. Well, but I think it's, I think it's that distinction and, and getting into the mindset of that distinction of it's not, is like not necessarily supporting the studios, but supporting the types of movies that, you want. Right. To but, and, 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 and you and I have, have fully been able to embrace that mindset. Yeah. Where we understand again the way most people grew up was what what they did had no effect on Hollywood, yeah. you know, because there was fewer movies being made and there's way more of a theater going audience. And if you didn't go see Independence Day, it didn't mean they were going to stop making movies like Independence Day, you know, right. like like you know now there is is risk of now, you know. I think like that's why I said I feel like people uh, by and large are are more likely now to go see a movie in theaters like everything ever all at once because they are able to buy into that support this sales pitch uh but studio movies still feel like studio movies and they're like ah that's not special that isn't you know a passion project from a visionary director that isn't whatever i'll watch that on hbo max but neon has convinced me that i'm doing my part as a as a patron of the arts and a supporter of you know whatever to 
gone to the theater and and you know vote with with my wallet that way um and then those of us who are who are you know who love the kind of bygone style of of studio movie are the only ones who have are have put ourselves in the mindset of of supporting yeah well, well then you've the got consumer a, product and then you have a weird fucking movie like you know you, like the northman and this is no offense to the northman i'm sure it's going to be i haven't seen it yet i'm going to see it next week i'm sure it's going to be great that said it is a violent viking drama by robert right. eggers that costs 90 million dollars to make right now what, who who with a sane mind goes into that proposition thinking that movie is ever going to make money? Nobody. Ooh. No, it's never going to make money. It's never, that's just, it's not a, why? So that's when it gets frustrating where you're like, they're going to give you $90 million to make a movie that you know you're not going to get a return on, but then you can't give me one more film like Marry Me, which costs maybe a third of that, maybe. Like, that's when it gets frustrating. Now that said, look, I know it's, it's a very different type of film. It's a very different thing. And I'm not saying I don't want more movies like The Northman because I think it's probably going to be a really cool film. It's just where Hollywood decides to put its money is always insane to me. And, and I can even look at Roland Emmerich for that. Like he made a fucking dinosaur movie. Like a hundred plus million dollar, maybe even $200 million dinosaur movie that is weird as fuck. And I watched that film for the first time for this series and I was like, how in the hell did anybody give him that much money for this movie? Like, this is insane. It's like woolly mammoth fights and like. <laughs> yeah, I never saw that. It's wild. It's actually, it's actually kind of worth watching for how wild it is. Like, yeah, it's interesting. It's so bizarre. And so like, not what you expect it to be. Right. But I'm also like, how they give him that money for that? Like, that is just mind boggling to me. And I, oh. But so, yeah. So about all that say is like, I, Hollywood's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. But it's also, it, 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 you know, I have a hard time faulting the audience because when they do on occasion, again, MU Los Angeles Dance is, is the recent exception, but like when they do make a thriller, it doesn't have the stuff in it that made the nineties thrillers fun. Yeah. It doesn't have the lightness of touch. It doesn't have the one-liners. It doesn't have the practical effects, right. the model work, the whatever. Like it, it's just a C, it's CG slogs. Are you saying by unhinged? And large. Are you saying unhinged? Starring Russell Crowe wasn't a a great throwback to the thrillers of the night. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I did not see unhinged with uh with 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 Russell Crowe, but it's yeah, it's I I don't know. This movie is it just works. Yeah. Independence Day just works. They they something so delightful to me. And you know it it I I keep forgetting I can't say the name of the most recent the Moon movie. <laughs> the Moon movie. The Moon movie you know it doesn't take its time. No. It starts right away White House White House Down was the last one of his or the the, the White House movie was the last one of his that actually took the time to take 15 minutes to introduce the characters yep. to let, give us glimpses into their personalities and to build that sense of in, in, encroaching dread. There's, there's danger coming. Goldblum, we find out that he's divorced and he can't let go of it. We get his relationship with his dad. He, we find out that he is working a job that is beneath his intellect 
and he discovers the beeping signal. Now we see in the opening that great scene with the scientists in the monitoring station or whatever. Yeah. So we know there's something coming. But then we get to get life at the White House. We get life with a, yeah. And then I love the way they introduce Will Smith after the thing has, they've already appeared over the city and he yeah. doesn't know what's there, but we know. Great dramatic irony sequence there. Uh, and just those reveals, it is, there is a, there's a skill to this. There's a meticulous construction of this. And it's not just in the screenplay. It's in the way he chooses to reveal things visually as well. Like we never get the full view of the ship until Will Smith walks out yeah. and pulls the paper down. And it is, it is built like a symphony. It is a step. You add a progression, you add in another instrument, you add in this, 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 and then there's a climax and you pull the audience along with you like that. And I don't know if it is just studio notes now where they're like, you gotta go, 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 go hook them in the first five minutes. But I feel like everything now just feels just, it doesn't take that time to, it doesn't take the time to build the appetite. You know, it used to be in these old disaster movies and this one does it brilliantly. It's, it's, they, they, they wet your appetite with some starter courses and then they deliver the fucking entree. Yeah. And now movies, studio movies are just like, you sit down and they fucking, the, the, the waiter just fucking throws the entree at you as soon as, as before you even have a chance to fucking, you know, undo your napkin. It's, it's, there's something so satisfying to the structure of these classic disaster movies. I think too, like, that's why I think that's partially why I really enjoyed the John Cusack film too. I, that's I like that one hour, as well. Yes. It's two hour and 40 minute movie. That movie takes like 30 to 40 minutes before it even gets going yeah. with like the crazy stuff. There's a whole thing with John Cusack taking his kids on a trip and like before the movie even really gets started. And it's yeah. also, you know, you get John Cusack and Oliver Platt and Danny Glover and Woody Harrelson and like really engaging people in that movie, which is certainly the Independence Day model. It just does it better than I think any of his other films except for Independence Day. But yeah, yeah like this, yeah, this movie is just, it's, it's a banger across all fronts um it holds up the score is incredible yeah the the lack of cynicism is really charming to me uh and 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 i feel like it now it feels like sort of a charming throwback in the mid 90s when the gen xers uh were uh you know making everything sarcastic and uh i i ironic and whatnot i'm sure it played really dopey but to me i find that there's something really really fun about an uncynical just just you know uh hopeful enthusiastic uh kind of go get them sort of sort of energy in a movie yeah and this has it in spades and yeah i mean obviously there's there's it's it, there's so many iconic moments in this film uh that work every time that speech the the pullman speech works every single time that's yeah. a great performance and and also this is the last, and it's worth mentioning because he's been mentioned through this series, but this is, up until this point, uh, Carl Walter Lindelof had shot all of Roland Emmerich's films. This was the last film that he shot for him, and I think that's telling because yeah. I think his films start looking progressively more generic, you know, yeah. after this film. And, yeah. um, and you know, it's just another good, you know, great you know, example of how important a DP is to a, to a director. There's some of. start, there's some striking imagery in this movie that I'd, I mean, I'd always remembered, you know, Will Smith dragging the orange parachute with the alien hanging yeah. out of it across the salt flats. 
is a is a great great image and then when all the um camper vans come driving anything on the salt flats looks really good in this movie but i i love the sequence down in the area 51 lab when they're looking at the corpses of the aliens and then you know everybody loves to praise the uh spider-man 2 doc ock scene where he goes crazy and kills all the doctors or whatever yeah the scene in this movie yep. when Brent Spiner's doing the autopsy on the alien. Yep. Very similar scene. Yeah. With un, that unfolds uh, almost beat for beat the same way again with tentacles and with yeah. smoke and with Dutch angles and like light going and quick cuts very and everything. Horror, very horror film. That very scene. horror film. And I'm, I'm not going to say Sam Raimi like watched Independence Day and was like, I'm going to steal that scene. But like, sure. I think if we're going to praise that, pick up that scene of Spider-Man 2 to praise as like a, a cool, weird, dark moment in a big blockbuster movie, the the sister scene in this film, which predates it, is, I think, just as scary and 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 uh, and great. Yeah, I mean, this out of the science fiction alien film, and this is the last point I'll make, is I, wa- I rewatched War of the Worlds yesterday, the Spielberg film, which great film great film tom cruise is just so good in that film mm-hmm. i like war of the worlds and independence day to me have a lot in common because they are they're science fiction films they have a sense of humor but they're also in a lot of sequences horror films right like, there are some horrific sequences more so in war of the worlds which i'll i'll go to ta- i'll go to town until the day i die saying war of the worlds is a horror film top to bottom independence day i'll i would say is more science fiction than horror but um, but they're similar in that way. And I think I respond to that more. Like I I like that in my science fiction films. And you don't I don't see it as much these days, which is a shame. Um I and I think, but you know, I mean, you can't get everything you want. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I, I certainly you can't get I can't get that and another marry me. That's just being selfish. Um well, so Independence Day has made it. It's safe. There was never any question. Independence Day is is I think it's clearly his 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 not just his best movie, but it is the quintessential Roland Emmerich movie. Well, it is now because it's the only one remaining. The it is the only one remaining. Burned and incinerated. So now, now Clay, let me talk to you about our next uh, series, uh, which we're kicking off in a couple. Well, a couple weeks after this drops, called Mansplaining. Where uh, ah. good, where your good friend Darren Franich and I uh, will be uh, week by week incinerating films from the oeuvre of Michael Mann. And yeah, I I uh, I picked up on that from the name from the name. Yes, and so there are three films currently that are have received the most votes for incineration on the Patreon, and those films are Black Hat, Public Enemies and actually hold on i can't remember it, it, it's been very waffling back and forth black hat and um uh public enemies have both been pretty consistently uh-huh at at the bottom in terms of the you know the the most votes but the other one is let's see there it is so the other film that is in consideration has received the most is the last of the mohicans so out of those three films which one would you want to move forward 
to move forward with incineration with incineration so (laughs) which one of those three would you want to burn uh i have not seen black hat um or last of the mohicans actually uh i mean i'm gonna have to say black hat just because i haven't seen it and also it has the worst reputation i guess uh i kind of like public enemies i I don't know i I don't hate public enemies um like some do and i've i've heard that last of the mohicans is great so yeah i'm shocked that it's it's gotten any votes frankly compared i mean because let's be clear there are a couple of films on his like no offense to ali but not his best film no offense to the keep i love a good horror film but not a great film it's crazy to me that that last of the mohicans has got votes i think it's probably going to end up being public enemies actually but now with your vote to black hat you very possibly have tipped the scale oh no weighted vote michael mann twitter is going to come after me they love that black hat movie you you i've never seen it either i'm going to be watching it for the first time for this and um, are you going to track down the director's cut everybody says the director's cut is uh, superior no i'm going to watch the theatrical i feel like it's only fair that i watch the theatrical and um i've seen public enemies as well i i don't think it's a bad film i just i don't think it's necessarily that great either yeah um i dread rewatching it but i will because <laughs> i didn't love watching it the first time but so okay so you put your hat in the ring so to speak for black hat yeah go ahead and destroy that one destroy that it very well might get destroyed um well very quickly i want to thank all of our guests who have contributed to this series uh so far how far back did you go by the way just i i i i know it's verboten to talk about uh uh specific titles but did were you able to track down those like early three or four emmerich movies we just started with his american titles ah gotcha yeah we just started with them um, but I do want to thank all of our guests, uh, and Clay is going to know most of these names, if not all of them. So thanks to Dane McDonald, Graham Skipper, Darren Franich, Maureen Lee Linker, Jason Shawhan, Alexi Taliopoulos, Leslie Byron Pitt, Dave Schilling, Harmony Colangelo, Mitchell Beaupre, Thomas Grabinski, J.D. Duran, Chris Devlin, and Mr. Clay Keller for helping go. us incinerate all of the Roland Emmerich titles except for this one. What a group. Independence Day atop the heap. Yeah, I feel like there's, I I, I, I kind of wish I hadn't spent so much of my time here just uh, bitching and moaning about the current state of Hollywood, but I feel like there's not that much to talk about with Independence Day yeah. outside of just like naming your favorite moments because it's not a it's not a thematically rich movie necessarily. Like there's not a lot to parse uh, outside of the themes like you said you've already covered the seem the the themes of shared humanity and found family and uh you know wh- whatever uh, that is you know present in this i do i love how after this he starts trying to put in more social themes into his movies yep to varying degrees of success i be it global warming or like the john cusack movie turns into a real like one percenters yep Yep. are evil kind of kind of thing and not to mention uh, gay rights and then gay right yeah not to mention well you know these conversations are so random and sense of like there was a film earlier in the series where we talked about the movie for like 10 minutes and then just started talking about the crimes of the future trailer for like 30 minutes so, so not they're not all not bad. they're not all roland emmerich centric they start out that way and then they devolve into whatever discussions we go into look B- B- billy ray i 
I could have been at a barbecue, but uh, I'm glad instead that I uh, was able to talk about Independence Day with you. Well, I am glad you did too, sir. And thank you very much. And um, that's all she wrote for this uh, Cut As You Go series. Like I said, we'll be back in a couple weeks with the first episode of Mansplaining. Till then, stay hot, kids.